We are live. Happy New Year. Happy New Year is exactly correct. Thank you, Kayla. 2018. But of course, that's a non-biblical deal there. So we're going to look at uh, Colossians 2 tonight. And uh, I just have to say that last week, the conversation we had was extraordinary. I loved it. I hate that you're over there. I hate it. I just want you to know, I hate it. Why don't, why don't, if I could ask, maybe instead of being so far on the periphery and so far from the microphone, you could take this soft chair I pray for you here. Oh, you so Shorty, you could go take it and let your brother move over. But, you know, <laughs> let's see. All right. Colossians 2. I'm, uh, I'm just reminded of this past uh, New Year's Eve. I had uh, all my sons, sons-in-law, daughters, daughters-in-law, and so forth, uh, together. And it was, it was such a blessing to recognize God's work in our lives. Because many families struggle. And many of those families don't know God. God knows them, but he just kind of waits in the background. So we, I guess we could jump into a uh, predestination Calvinistic thing, but we're not going to do that. So we're going to move to Colossians 2. That's right, wrong, <laughs> wrong book. So here we are in Colossians 2. Um, so uh, Micah, while well, you, you got nothing to do, nice shirt, by the way. Um, would you like to uh, read some uh, scripture for us? Yes. You sure? Yes. I mean, yeah, think about it. <laughs> okay, why don't you give me until, uh, uh, how about the first five verses there? Would that work? Yeah. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea. Laodicea. And for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Mashiach himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Mashiach. Nice. Well done. So let's talk about the two different O's in Greek. We have an A, which is the Omicron. And we have an O, which is the Omega. Laodicea is not correct. It is Laodicea. I was considering the second thing. 
So you got to look at the Greek, man. You can't do it if you got an English Bible. It's not going to cut it, right? La. Laodicea. Laodicea. Nicely done. So tonight we're going to focus as much as possible on the mystery. So we've got a definition already. God's mystery is Messiah, right? Yeah, that would be pretty clear. Okay, so what's the mystery? Who he is? What he's going to do? How he's going to do it? When he's going to do it? Can it be all of the above? It could be. What do you think? Who he came as. That's the mystery. Okay. Let's see if I get this. So you're saying, love the haircut, by the way. Uh, the Jews who were studying the Torah yes. knew Messiah would come. Yes. But who he would be, some little short guy, some tall masculine guy, some guy who's driving a car, <laughs> they didn't know. Yes. So you think the mystery is who? Yes. And or perhaps I can extrapolate then not only who, but what his name would be. Because that identifies us. Yes? Yes. I think you're wrong. But I like where you're coming from. I do like where you're coming from. There's another way to look at this, I think. Let's hear and that is that the mystery has nothing to do with actually with mysteries about Messiah, but actually that Messiah is God's mystery. I agree with you 100%, but I don't think anyone else in the room understands what so, you so just start said. So let's, let's start so, that again. So it says... Those are nice boots, by the way. Are they waterproof? Yeah. Did you spray them with that stuff to do that? Uh, no. No, it came like that. Yeah, you should spray them. There's another thing okay. that can help with it. Yeah. yeah, which is nice. mysterious, but focusing on a different mystery. Yeah, yes, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The uh, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Messiah. In other words, uh, God had planned for the world, and I think that the, the, exactly how that was going to work out, how God was going to make that plan function, I think is a mystery. That, that plan being, to get he made people, it, we broke it. Yeah. He fixed it? But how is he fixing it? Okay. How do we have a relationship with so him? So a more, a more general... Thing. Or even to go so far as to say that, like... I mean, I think that... What, another way to look at this also is... Um, is, like, uh, core purpose, centrality. I mean, it's like... Because I think that when you think about the word mystery, think about who Paul's writing to. So Paul's writing to a Greek-speaking society. Okay. They live in a culture that's immersed in mystery. So they've, they've got all these philosophers, as he mentions that in the following verses, all these philosophers who are trying to theorize of the purpose of the earth, how, what the earth is made of, are there gods or they're not gods, why are we here, where did we come from, all these different types of things. Right. The, uh, they live in a cult, in, a, in an environment in which there's all these, they call them mystery religions, all these new new age religions creating new deities out of thin air to try to create, uh, because they, there's this, they, people have things missing. You know, the old pantheonic system isn't working so basically, in the midst of what I would say is a very mystical um, uh, 
environment, not to mention what I think is probably some Jewish mysticism, there's some allusions to that in this text, um, Paul is almost like, he's like saying, forget all this other stuff. You need mystery, you need like purpose, you need like the centrality of the universe. Why are we all here and what are we all supposed to be doing and what's the purpose of everything? It's Messiah. Like, all comes back to him. Okay. So let me see if I can boil that down in 87 or 88% less words. <laughs> so, as Gentiles were wrapped in mysteries, and Messiah's a good one to grab onto. Uh, so, I, I kind of was thinking of the same thing, and I was thinking of just the word how. So, if somebody were to ask you, like, yeah, but. How is if if God is as powerful as you're describing? How is He gonna do anything for me? Yeah, because I'm just a little guy. Like He's so busy with the world. Or like you can ask a bunch of questions like yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. and a lot of them start with, "How is He gonna do that? Yeah. How would that even be possible?" So not who, right? Over here. Yeah. And so I was maybe was that kind of that's pretty close. The only thing I would say, I would say in my view, it's like how and why. How is God going to interface with humanity, and why are we here? Well, why, why, why? Let's, let's put off the why for now. I get that, and and I, I don't disagree. I think you're right, but let's not confuse things. So, Josiah presented him, us with who, and you guys are on the cheaper seats, um, presenting us with how is he going to fix it. Because hmm. he does answer, the, I do feel like Messiah, the whole idea of Messiah, answers the personal questions, as opposed to maybe the bigger ones that get answered by the existence of God, or that as God is creator, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but then the Messiah figure does, because I thought it was interesting, because I was thinking maybe along the same lines as Josiah, but it's odd that he doesn't specifically say, like he does in a lot of other places, the Lord Christ Jesus, yeah, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Here, he just says Messiah, so in whom are hidden all the treasures of yeah, wisdom yeah. and knowledge. Which I wanted to actually capture on that part, that verse, because so the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Messiah, so Messiah equals God's mystery, in whom, so in Messiah, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's why I was going through that yeah, historical yeah. background yeah, yeah. to say that people are searching for meaning yeah, yeah. and a connection to the divine, and it's in Him. And it's all in him. So I, I beg your pardon. Well, uh, the no, you don't just stop. Nobody can hear you. <laughs> then what? Um, what you're asking? He speaks is... at the same level, even after yelling. <laughs> <laughs> what you're asking is nice. the mystery of Messiah, or is Messiah the mystery? Well, actually, you're asking that. Oh, well... What's the answer, Josiah? I think that there are several clues. Who, what, where, how, why, when. I love it when you do that. So, who he is... You've already told us. Who he's going to come as. Yeah. Well, he has two comings. One is as Yeshua and one as Messiah. Or one as a suffering servant and one as a reigning king. Ah. And what? What is he going to do? He's going to save the world. Reconcile man with God. 
Yes. And where? Where is he going to come? Dongro. Come here. Okay. And how is he going to accomplish this? Why is he doing this? Mm -hmm. And when is he going to do it? I like the way you're looking at this. I'm, I'm reminded of an Italian godfather type deal here. So I, I see a closed hand and an open hand. I see Josiah on this side presenting us with Yeshua. And I see the guys on this side saying, he's some kind of Messiah. So it's like the two sides of the room are looking at the same Messiah and different aspects. You guys are looking at what and how he's going to do that, and he's the answer. He's the Messiah. And you're over here introducing the Messiah to the class. I don't think there's a right or wrong here. I think, I think this is all correct. But I think there's more to it, guys. So let's keep reading. And maybe we'll come across it. So, Micah, did you just read that for us? Yes. I'm just thinking back in my mind. I think it was pretty good. Nicely done. Caleb, yes, can sir. you, uh, let's see, can you take us uh, into the next paragraph? Maybe uh, take us up to 15. And I've got somebody clicking in here. So let's see who that is before you start reading. And it is our brother Greg Upham, who obviously doesn't want to bear the cold to come out here to Matthews. I get it. God bless you, brother, and I'm glad you're watching. Uh, Greg was uh, listening online last week, and I didn't notice until the end of class. So I'm glad he's with us. All right. Give it to us, brother. Okay. Therefore, as he received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of that deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and in which you were also raised with him through faith and powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this is he set aside, this is he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This he set aside. Mm. You put an is in there twice. Oh, thank you. Sorry. This he set aside. This nailing he set it to aside. The cross. Okay. Nicely done. Sorry for the hiccups. So I think the first paragraph in whatever way you look at it, left side of the room, right side of the room, 
it's the who. And in the second paragraph, it's the how. How did he do it? Yes, but I think the thrust of it is not so much that Paul is introducing the topic to his readers. I don't think he's trying to tell them what, what Messiah did for I agree. the first time. But rather, I think the key to this entire passage is verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Messiah. So what <laughs> verse 8 is saying is, he's like, be on guard, be watching out, because from all directions, I mean, I think it's it's a shame that the, that the um, traditional church father view of passages like this just targets Judaism. First off, I think that's a mistake anyway, but it's really a shame because they're missing that Paul is actually firing off quite a shotgun here. He talked about human tradition, the elemental spirits of the world, which is what Dad's pointed out in some of his teachings, is Greek philosophy, Greek um, kind of a, a, a pantheism in which sort of God is in the universe kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and basically what Paul's trying to say is, look, you've got a lot of people that are going to try to change your mind. They're going to tell you lies. <clears throat> and you need to realize that the the focus, the substance, the purpose of why you're here is Messiah, period. There's nothing else you need to add in, nothing else you need to tack on. You don't need to go find another God or find another some sort of spiritual experience. Yeah, it's all in him. Yeah. And, and then he goes on right. to explain how he did this. As almost like as, a, as, a, as an exclamation point on that concept to say, because you think you need something different? Well, or, or additional. Or additional? He finished it 100%, and yeah. while he was finishing it 100%, he was making a mockery of the forces and powers that you may want to turn to. Amen. And he answers the... Louder, as, please. And, and, well, and Paul then in the next verse, in verse 9, answers the hesitation one might have to replace Yeshua with God by right. saying, well, but in him dwells the fullness of deity bodily. And then he goes on and to talk about head of the authority and all that yeah. so it's it's really cool how he does that he he almost catches you before the before thought you get even crosses a chance your mind to do it yep to be He's like nah, same, thing. same yeah. thing yeah and before you even go there it reminds me so much i know we have we're gonna get there yes so i'm not gonna lot of detail now but it just reminds me of the book of hebrews yeah which i feel like is making a very similar argument because what the problem that we deal with in in the first century and really quite frankly we're still struggling with today is we've got so many different uh ways of living this world competing for our our hearts and minds. They want to tell you that you there's no God. They want to tell you that we don't know who the God is. You can live however you want. You have to live by these rules. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to worship this God and worship that God. You have to I mean there's all of these different things. And and unfortunately, so often, especially for people who are relatively new to the faith, or people who've made a big change in their faith walk, like finding Torah, they find themselves very vulnerable because all of a sudden they don't really know what's true. There's a lot of people that sound very smart. Yeah. And Paul's saying, don't get caught up in that. And, and I, I think it goes even deeper because the tentacles that you've just described come down and are, are reproduced even deeper. Well, sh oh, sure, yeah, Messiah. But you're, you're not eating non-grass-fed beef, are you? <laughs> I mean, come on. Or, well, you're eating kosher, right? But, and then they add on. And it's more and more of these other layers of stuff. 
beyond Messiah. I'm not saying eating grass-fed beef is bad. I personally think eating grass-fed beef is great. Eating kosher is not an option for us. We have to eat what God said is food. Where are you getting your kosher food? And now we start to get these divisions of, oh, oh, it's hectored by those folks, not by these folks. Oh, it's not hectored at all, but it's grass-fed and it's kosher because God says kosher. Well, you know, when you get it hectored, you know. But you know, the other thing, I think he goes beyond, I think you're right. I think that's definitely part of the argument. Just keep reading. Yeah. It, it's, it, he's, Paul, I said he's taking a shotgun approach. He's hitting everything. Because here's another little curveball in there. Oh, um, so you still eat meat? Well, you're not you're not vegan. Don't you know that Adam and Eve were vegan? I mean, this is the only option, right? And so you you get and you're this, hearing that today. You're hearing that today. Big and time. that's that. Those arguments are just inside the messianic world. If you get outside the messianic world, it's like I mean, it's like the these people they're surrounded by pretty much every. They're in the center every, of the planet. Everything you can Every kind of a religion you can imagine. Agreed. Oh, wait, yeah. so you, I'm sorry, you don't beat yourself 19 times before you go to sleep? Obviously, yeah. you're not You're not holy. Wait, wait mean, a second. You're not having <laughs> sex with the gods over here? I mean, or... Tuesday nights, where like, are you? you know, wait, you you eat something more than stale bread and water? Well, I mean, that's just pathetic. Yeah. Wait, you wear <laughs> colors? Oh, that's appalling. We can't, we can't deal with that. I mean, the, you yeah. know, the asceticism of the Greek philosophers combined with the hedonism of the other Greek philosophers, and those are the ones who didn't have gods. Can you imagine, I mean, can you imagine the Colossians? These guys have got to be completely torn up. And the thing is... We have it so easy compared to the way they have it. But you it. know what's crazy? Because we barely see the heathen and pagan world now. Oh. Right? I mean, mm -hmm. we may bump into one or two people who don't believe as we do or pretend so. But they're living in a world that actually embraces, enjoys, and celebrates this flagrant lifestyle. But the thing is, I, I, I hear you, and I think that there are certainly some young men in this room that because they have very godly parents, they, they have been protected and given... Shielded. She, and given a, a holy and appropriate uh, view of the world. But once you start living in the world, you start watching TV, you surf the internet, oh my goodness, the amount of stuff out there. I mean, we're, we're, asking, we're asking questions about whether or not men can marry men, whether or not men are men. We're asking questions about, um, we're asking questions about not just whether the universe uh, was created by that God or this God, is there a God at all? Maybe aliens made us all. I mean, the amount of nonsense, we can't even decide what's news anymore. We have fake news. I mean, so you think about like the you think about the society that the Colossians lived in. It was, in a sense, worse than ours, only because there were so many people that they interacted with on a yeah. day basis. Yeah. But the the amount of lies and deception today is at least as strong and as broad scope yeah. as it was then. And I so agree. Paul's words are very meaningful now Amen. because so often in the Messianic movement, one of the biggest mistakes people make is they go, "Yeah, Messiah." I learned about him in church. I already know enough about him. What else is there out there? And we lose sight of the most important thing, and that's when you find weirdness that's and exactly dangerous right. uh, philosophies. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, re we need to remember that back in that day, you had to actually see somebody and talk to them. Now, 
you can open your, your iPad mm -hmm. and you're talking to 400 people that believe wildly different than you mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it, it can affect you, you know, and, and we need to watch our kids because of that. Well, that Mr. Krigger is online. I just wanted to make that clear to you guys. Right. It's actually religion that worships pasta. Spaghetti <coughs> monster. Is it Italian? Yeah. They're called Italians. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, 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 I'm checking. He just quit. He just oh, put man. salt can on the open wound. Can you see the bruise? Oh, man. He just put salt on the open wound. That actually is a, there is a religion that worships the spaghetti monster, and that is their, their pity. Some people actually take it seriously. I mean, that's how crazy the, the universe is today. It is crazy. And... And, and I think, you know, we may laugh about it, but it's crazy sad. Oh, yeah. It really is crazy sad. Because mm -hmm. there's people out there that are believing absolute nonsense. And you can stand in front of them and tell them, you're, you're being deceived. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter whether they're worshipping spaghetti or worshipping... A man or worshiping an idea. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. They're all wrong. And in this case, it doesn't matter how wrong they are because it's an all in or all out game. This is a zero sum mm -hmm. game. Okay, so we skipped over some, I think, important aspects here. Um, that we're not going to probably take time to go through uh, tonight, but uh, in verse 14, um, 15, he says, uh, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And this uh, rulers and authorities uh, has to do with uh, spiritual power. And we, we read about these in other letters. Um, but I, I don't want to pass over to the point where we ignore it so that Caleb and Josiah are thinking that they're battling this, this faith walk with folks like us. Because they're not. Folks like us are easy to fight against. But we're fighting against powers, spiritual powers, principalities, and rulers of a different world that are so much more powerful than we are. And to laugh it off or to make it seem like, well, I can I cannot thank you, Mr. Martin, it's no big deal is nothing. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, mm -hmm. but against folks that are a whole lot more powerful than us. I think so. Go ahead. That's why he's, uh, I like how he's saying, uh, where is it? Uh, by canceling the record of debt that mm -hmm. stood against mm -hmm. us with its legal demands, because the spiritual powers and authorities, they stand on legal demands. If they're able to tie you up in some kind of legal 
Or if they can go for the father legally and say, right, that's, he's yeah. mine. That's I got the, it. That's the whole idea in Judaism of right. the Satan. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's not a he's devil. He's the origin. accuser. He's, right. the, he's basically a, uh, a, a, a prosecutor. Spiritual prosecutor. Yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. His job is to make you look bad. He just dings you on things you did. Uh, example in Job, right? right. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. Exactly right. So, I, I got him twice. Actually, I've, I've avoided it. Um, I get it. And uh, we do well to recognize that mm -hmm. and not to just gloss over it in the scripture. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we're old enough to recognize that thinking and trying to do the best and, and so forth falls short without some spiritual component. And, and he's bringing that in here. Josiah, I beg your pardon. When you say uh, more power... You're not talking loud enough for the people that are not here to hear you. And I want them to hear you. When you say more powerful than us, do you mean spiritually and spiritually powerful? Do you mean spiritually, spiritually powerful? Yeah. More powerful? Yeah, I do. Um, the, the idea that... Um, more powerful than us without Messiah. More I mean, powerful than us on our own. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Oh. Right. That's where you're going, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, it's... If we're in Messiah and trusting and resting in what he's done right, and so forth, then spiritually we're unstoppable. We can't. Right. Wow. So but our adversary is trying to separate us from that and have us stand on our own wow. and and we are pathetic. No question about it. Yeah, it reminds me of that story that we read in Acts with the uh, Paul oh. going around casting out demons. And these guys go in there and get their... And they say, oh, we can, we can cast you out yeah, in, we can in, do the, this. in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And they go, the demons respond, and they say, we know who Jesus is. We know who Paul is. But who are you? And they basically get the snot beat out of them. the Juzu. Yeah. yeah. One pass, one verse, real quick. I wanted to throw in on this passage. That I thought was really interesting that I never noticed until this time reading, and that was that. Um, so earlier he says talks about about the circumcision of Messiah, and it's so easy I think for people to get caught up in there. See, Paul's teaching against physical circumcision. It's all about a spiritual circumcision. That's all you need. But then in verse four, the verse thirteen he says, "And you who were dead in your trespasses." and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So the uncircumcision of your flesh is not thrown in there in a long list of different things that happen to define you pre-Messiah. It actually is equated, in my mind, with trespasses. In other words, your, the uncircumcision of your flesh is a symbol of the fact that you were outside of the family and covenant of God. I agree with you. That's exactly correct. But I... I do think, uh, and I'm, I'm going to speak in uh, Greg Upham's name now, it's, it's here in verse 13, in circumcision of your flesh, that you're referencing. But if you back up to verse 11, the circumcision of Messiah, this is where God has circumcised our hearts. And that's the key. The circumcision of the flesh is so important. It's a sign that we're in the covenant. 
And even if we come into the body of Messiah, having not been physically circumcised, we know that by the time Pesach rolls around, if there's a temple, then the circumcision of the flesh is taken care of. But what's more important, and what's important to God, is the circumcision of the heart. Absolutely. And we are to do that. And he is to do that. Go figure that part out. And God does that. And really? I think I think it's so wonderful that in Messiah we have been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Absolutely. And the only reason I threw that in there was because this is one of the one of the times that Paul seems to indicate that the uncircumcised is a less than ideal state. And, I think that, and you're and you're out, you were right before. You're outside the body. You're outside right. The covenant, you're so outside he's treating the uncircumcision, um, physical not, uncircumcision, physical uncircumcision, as Bad. as sin. Yes, and 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 I think that that's important because so oftentimes you read Galatians and you read other passages like the earlier verses, people get hooked, so caught up in the spiritual circum side of it that they want to say the physical side is either irrelevant or even in some cases wrong, which is incredible to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, so I think Paul is not saying either or; he's saying both. That's exactly right. I'm with you. Absolutely. All right, Gregory. Give us that next paragraph there, if you would, sir. 16, maybe to, maybe to 19. Okay. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Messiah. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from which whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. I'm reminded of, uh, of a passage I truly can't give you. I think it's 1 Corinthians 14. Maybe somebody could look that up and, and uh, help me there. Where... We can actually read this from two different perspectives. It says the same wording regardless of how you read it. But if you read it from one mindset, then you're keeping a festival or keeping a new moon or a Sabbath because God said to. But if you read it from the other perspective, you're keeping or not keeping these things because they no longer need to be done. Mm -hmm. Is it 14? Are you looking for specifically? Something about the new moon and festivals. No, I can't. Try to work with me again. D. Did you say 14? I was thinking, is this Galatians 4? Could be 4. You observe days and months and yeah. seasons and years. Ah, ah. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. No, no, let no one judge over you, just like in Colossians 2. Come on. So nobody can help me, I see. Nope. I'm on, I'm on my own here. Worthless and meaningless. That's it, I can see it. How about Romans 14? Can you help me with Romans 14? How about verse 17 in verse in Romans? Was it 1 Corinthians 14, 29? Once we eat. I said 1 Corinthians 14 before, but these losers over here couldn't find anything. What do you got? 
the let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass through. No, no, no. Look in Romans 14. What do you got there? Oh, that one's about eating the weak, the weak person who only eats ah, vegetables. Okay, give me some more. Ah, okay. Ah, 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 ah. Give me some more. Give me some more. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. So we don't know which way. Judgment on the one who eats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One keeps to the Lord and one yeah, eats yeah, to the Lord yeah, and one doesn't. Yeah. Fourteen twenty one. It is good not to eat. Wait, is this what you're looking for? I don't know. It is good not to eat meat, or to drink wine, or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. It's close. It'll it'll get us started. <clears throat> the bottom line is that in one way. You can look at it as you should be doing this, and in the other way, you shouldn't be. It's the same here, I believe. <clears throat> Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival and a new moon or a Sabbath. That could be taken two ways. You need to give up this whole festival and new moons and Sabbath stuff. There's no reason to be doing that anymore. Don't, don't let them judge you because you're not doing that. If the Jew is approaching you, or let's flip it on its head. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of that with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. They, they don't think it has any, any worth, any value. And they want to convince you not to keep it. It could be coming from either way, especially in Colossae. And I think that that makes a lot of sense because of verses 17 and 18. So, verse 17, I'm, I'm trying to reread this verse, right? So, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But See how his voice went up at the end? This is an excitement. This is a good thing. This is exciting. And then almost like in parentheses, but the substances of Messiah, you know. So, now it's the other way. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Messiah. Right, like, come on, it's the substance we're looking for, not the actual doing. What's wrong with but you? Then here's the problem with the argument that says that the, the target, the enemy in this case, is Judaism. The next verse is, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. There is some element of that Judaism, some of those different types of things, um, if you get into certain mystical sides and in certain... Um, I was even reminded to think about asceticism. There's, there's not much that, of that, though. But it's limited. In there's fact, a lot of that Judaism in actually struggles... Right, I was going to say, Judaism actually struggles with the idea of asceticism. There are even some... If you, I think in the, in the um, uh, commentators reading about fasting and making vows, there's some who say, like, you, you should never make a vow saying, I won't eat... Uh, you know, we won't drink wine because that would be, I mean, I'm not saying it's a problem. I'm saying it's an argument in Judaism because yeah, they're like, yeah. you shouldn't deny yourself something that God has given you or right. not eat bread. Let's just throw that in there. Right. You know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, if you're gluten-free or if you believe that, you know, you shouldn't drink wine, that's a separate issue. But the point is that like, yeah. the point is that um, Judaism is not ascetic. And so that is out of place in this context. What makes a lot of sense is the Greek pagan world surrounding Colossae, which, to your your point, it ultimately influenced Catholicism yes. to have a thousand different saints we're all praying to, worship of angels, yeah. and asceticism, where 
oh, I probably should, you know, only eat once a day and beat myself 19 times before I go to bed. That's right. This was, you know, this was part of what Martin Luther was so yeah. upset with That's right. because of this mindset. So the point that I'm trying to get at is if you read the whole passage, it makes more sense that Paul's saying, don't let the pagans try to convince you not to keep the Torah because these are a shadow of the things to come exactly, and the substance is Messiah. That's exactly my point. He's going back and forth through this whole thing and you see even in verse 20, if you, if with Messiah you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you still are alive in the world do you submit to regulations, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? This, this is not elemental spiritual spirits of the world that's not Judaism right that's that's these weird people in Colossae saying hey you know you know you know the, the way to to get some spiritual uplift here is deep breathing and don't eat any meat deep breathing and eat a lot of pasta deep breathing and don't touch Anything made of rubber. <laughs> That's where he's coming from. I think that that makes the most sense to me. And you think about it, I believe if you've taught us before that sometimes the, um, uh, the conjoining word there, but, can mean and. and. And if you look at it from that perspective, my dad has argued that the word shadow is incorrectly determined to be a negative. Because if you think about it, if you think about, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, I want to come back to that point when you finish So if you thought. think, of, imagine instead of the, the word shadow in, in, in modern society, I think because we have a platonic view of the universe where shadows are a bad thing, right. take that out of the picture. Replace it with, these are a picture of the things to come. Point Whoa, Point now, now it has a totally different meaning. And the substance belongs to Messiah. In other words, it's not enough by itself. That's true, Messiah is the point. But these are a picture of Messiah. He's the, in other words, if, 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 if the idea was, if you think about it, some, some in the Messianic movement, or in the church especially, argued that because Messiah is the point of it all, we shouldn't be keeping kosher, Shabbat, whatever. But if Messiah is the point of it all, and these things point to him, then we're basically like experiencing him by doing them. And I think that's what Paul's trying to say. And in proclaiming him. Right. In the doing. Right to others, and that's what, Absolutely. and that's Judaism's approach to Shabbat. They say that Jude, that Shabbat is not only a remembrance for us of the creation of the world and that God did it all in six days, yeah. but it is also a proclamation: God is the creator of the universe, Amen. and we serve the shadow caster. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I, well, this will be a good time, I think, to just mention. Uh, the concept of translator bias, absolutely, because these guys are going to see in their uh, in the version that we're using, the New American, the word "mere" in, inserted in here. That things is, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. Seventeen in seventeen. Yeah, that's it's right. It's not even there. It, and the word isn't there. The, re, the way you can tell that it's not there is that when you read that in your Bible, you see the word "mere" is in italics, right? That's, that's the, the Bible printer's way of telling you that this word isn't really here. We've inserted it here to help, to help illuminate the verse for you, to help, to help you understand what this verse means. Or to help you understand 
what would we, we think, think it, it what means. Yeah, the thought yeah. that we want to convey exactly to you. Exactly right. Yes. Because as Joshua was just saying. That's awesome for them to do that. That's almost like if people would label GMO foods, but they don't. <laughs> some Bibles don't show you the word. That's right. True. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Bad about yeah, that. the numeric standard is good about italicizing the, the extraneous words, mm -hmm. but the NIV and many of the others are not. That's exactly right. And we're going to see when we get to Hebrews. Oh, I don't okay. care what version you've got. They all hosed it. And oh, yeah. there's no italics. There's no mm -hmm. nothing. Go ahead. And to Joshua's point about the, the concept of the shadow being a, a negative mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. that's not as good, the word mirror is inserted there to drive that Make point it even home, worse. to magnify it. Yeah. Right. This is a mirror shadow. Why would you even be, be yeah, wanting to What do you do with shadows? Right. We're... we're Children of the light. This is a mere shadow. You don't want to put. You don't want to. You don't want to do these things. Don't worry about these. Don't bother with it. Yeah. The substance is Christ, and that's what you want to concentrate Amen. on. That's exactly. Um, so, whenever you see the the word in there in italics, you have to question whether or not it should really be there. Is it is it a word that's really helping you to gain a fuller understanding, a better understanding of the verse, or is it a word that the translator is trying to get their own idea across for you? And if you just can't so. tell, then you need to ask somebody. Yeah. Or just read it in the original language. <laughs> That's my favorite. That's my favorite. Skia, by the way, is shadow. Go ahead. I got you. On the mirror shadow? I don't have mirror shadow. I have, <coughs> I have shadows. These are a shadow? Well, it could either be read like you said. Like, uh, did you say it doesn't a matter. We're saying negative, right. a negative way, or positive, yeah, or a positive way. Well, it could be looked as a positive way as this is only a mere shadow of what greater things. And also, when uh, Mr. Spurlock, you said uh, changed it to picture, we could also think of that as this is uh, for this is a prelude, something mm -hmm. only just a small. Representation of the greatness. I think that's the purest way to look at it, Josiah, and I think that's great. Um, and you know, I credit your father for that, because most people who read these verses don't see it like that. I get you next. Yes. I think it's. I get you next. I've had people use this verse <coughs> to convince me that there's no use in right uh, doing the festivals. Uh, exactly. Feasts and festivals. It's exactly backwards, I think, the, what Paul intended. Yes. They're saying Jesus has come. It's done. So there's no use in doing these festivals anymore. This verse will show you right here. And then the same people are kind of convincing you you should be doing Christmas and Easter. And I'm like, okay, so so what is the Christmas and Easter then? Is that is that a shadow too, or is that something else? That's <laughs> yeah, good. It's good. To your point about Skia. The, in the Blue Letter Bible, when you look up that particular word's definition in the Thayer's Greek lexicon, oh, yeah, yeah. it's cool. It uses specifically Colossians 2.17 to describe the word shadow being a sketch or an outline, which is exactly like you said, a picture. And when you read it that way, it's like, well, that's actually kind of cool. It's yeah. like, so you want to you wanna know what's coming with Messiah? Keep the new moons, the festivals, and the Sabbaths. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. Which, if you think about it, is exactly the point. Because, so, when in, in Ezekiel, they talk about the new moon and all that stuff because they're, they're 
the new moon is symbolic to the restoration of Israel. The new moon is symbolic to the, the prince, yeah, ruled, the, the Messiah yeah. king ruling in, in Jerusalem. You have um, thinking about the festivals. I mean, I mean, uh, there's there are entire books written about how all the festivals talk about Messiah True. and how the festivals are teaching us about the world to come. You've got Shabbat, which is supposed to be a weekly picture of the world to come. Yeah. We don't work. We don't ask for forgiveness. We don't, you know, we try to, you know, we, enjoy, we, we, we rejoice and delight, we eat, you know, good food. I mean, it's like, it's about, like, trying to make the day feel like the world to come. And it's like, that makes so much more sense if you think about it that way. And it's like, wow, so these are a taste of the world to come. It's like, instead of thinking of it as like, I kind of like, I like what Josiah said. It's like, it's not so much that it's a, um, it's just simply a, a, a small idea of what's to come, but rather it's like, it's like an appetizer. You want to do this because... This is pointing to the great thing is, and as great as this is, the realness behind it is even greater. Amen. When you say sketch or outline, I'm also thinking of like blueprint. Yes. You, know, you, you see a nice building, but imagine if you can look at the blueprint and see inside the walls and you can see the amazing details. And, and yeah. An outline would be that way too. You're, you're yeah. able to see like the whole text of what is going on. And the intricate design that was put in to make it. This is so astonishing to me because I've actually had the same class some 20 years ago and we were arguing exactly the opposite. That hmm. Wasn't it Rabbi Perlmutter that came to know Messiah Yeshua based on the Rosh Hashanah Machsor? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just to even further emphasize Joshua's point about these pointing to Messiah. Amen. And again, so who's the enemy here? I think that's another important thing. The enemy yeah. is not Judaism. It's certainly not the Torah. Right. The enemy is the world. The enemy is all these crazy pagan ideas that are competing for our time, that are trying to tell us that all that really matters is money, or all that really matters is having fun, or a lookout for number one, or any other wide range of secular humanist philosophies that are existing today. And the, the contrast to that is a Torah lifestyle. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you think about it when you, 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 we've talked about this before, the best, the best evangelism tool is living the Torah because people think you're weird and you are. And they ask, yeah, they why ask, are you weird? Why are you weird? But I think that, but if you think about it then, that, um, that just further emphasizes like all the more the reasons behind it. It's like, so God wants you to kind of be weird because God wants you to experience the world to come, not this world. And everybody else is trying to make the most out of this world. And God's saying, I got something even better for you. Amen. So have we read the paragraph that starts in 16? I, don't, I think I just mm -hmm. kind of touched yeah, it. Yeah, we have. Did we read it out loud? Mm -hmm. okay. We did. You read that? It's yeah. funny that we haven't read. Yeah, all right. So um, you'll see this in, in the next class. Uh, but I actually believe that 3.1 should be right here. I think that this paragraph should be in the next chapter. But... Because the monks thought it should be in this paragraph, we're going to go ahead and put it in this chapter. The ascetic monks? The, those ascetic monks, that's exactly right. Todd, you want to uh, lift that one up for us, take it to the end of the chapter? If with Messiah you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. 
these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, asceticism. asceticism. <laughs> and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh okay so I want you to notice first a uh, couple of uh, clues that Paul gives us here in this paragraph um, the do not handle taste and touch are according to human precepts and teachings not the Torah second this is an appearance of wisdom verse 23 promoting self-made religion not God made and asceticism and severity to the body but we know already from other scripture that the Torah is of great value and in it is life itself however this is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh so this paragraph I want to make clear has nothing to do with the word of God the teachings of God the precepts of God and the practices with which God has commanded his people to keep. Is everybody okay with that? Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that is the height of irony, too, that Paul emphasizes that all these things are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, because that is exactly what their purpose is. Right. And what's fun and, and almost paradoxical is Judaism's approach to that, which is you want to stop the indulgence of the flesh, then convert everything you do to being glorifying to God. Being holy. Yeah. Make your meals a worship time. Exactly. Right. Then you won't indulge. Exactly. You're doing it as if unto God. Everything's about God instead of you. If so you're, gonna, you're focusing if you're gonna, so much on yourself in these cases. Yeah. If you're going to feed the flesh, is, the flesh is going to win. Exactly. If you're going to feed the spirit, the spirit's going to win. That's such a poignant and tragic example of that in the, um, in the Catholic religion where so many priests and whatnot took vows of abstinence and those types of yeah. things and the goal the goal was to maintain a hyper sense of purity but instead they ended up turning into some well some of them a good some of them turned into monsters yeah. and that um and the point being that, uh, that that's exactly what paul's getting at because it's like what we were talking about earlier you think you you know puny little joshua at indian trail can take on the These Satan? principalities? You can take on the forces in the universe. You have no shot. You think that because you decided to only eat Brussels sprouts on Tuesdays, that that's going to make you be a better, more wholesome person? Write that down. Only Brussels sprouts. <laughs> it's Brussels a Tuesday fast Tuesday. of Brussels sprouts. But instead, if... Instead, what does God give us? God gives us the Torah, so we have all these things that are designed to keep us in check. Amen. To so if you if you live a lifestyle in which, well, the only woman you're with is the one you're married to, and you live a lifestyle in which some things we don't eat, some things we do, and we always thank God after we eat. That is what reigns in the flesh. Amen. But the things of this world are only going to set you up potentially for more cravings and desires because they're not powerful enough to hold up against the forces you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. But Paul's saying that you died to that. That doesn't have any power over you in Messiah. 
I wish I could say something pithy that was wonderful, but you nailed it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, to even consider like something like the 12 step program, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. that, the whole idea is of course, it's stopping indulgence. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Alcohol is not, but even that, like it has such a strong connection to God. Absolutely. Like, the, like you can't even, there is work a higher without power. It. Exactly. Beyond that is you. stronger than you. To you beating whatever addiction that right. you have. That's right. exactly right. I mean, that's, yeah. Right. Because, and that's, I think that further emphasizes that we're not talking about not only the Torah, but not even talking about Jewish faith here, because asceticism, severity of the body, there are there are elements of that in certain sects and pieces of Judaism, but that's not the teaching of Judaism. Judaism is exactly what Greg said. It's the opposite. Judaism is going, it's Shabbat, well, you better have extra meat. You know, it's Shabbat, Amen. you know, you it's like, it's a holiday, you better be buying jewelry for your wife. You know, it's like, that's a totally different way of, it's Shabbat, put on your nicest clothes because we have to celebrate before the king. That's a completely different mentality. It's one of the things that I really <clears throat> fell in love with with Judaism was that they embraced this world. This world wasn't bad because it was physical and not spiritual. That's right. The, spi- the physical world was supposed to be redeemed, to be spiritual. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you could do that was to enjoy it and thank God for it and do it his way. Amen. Amen. I just listened to a really good teaching on Gnosticism, a good YouTube that Rick Ergenreiter pointed out to me. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it just fits so oh, yeah. well with all of this. It's good stuff. Yeah. I want to bring us back to the beginning of the chapter to make clear as you read that first paragraph that our hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love, to reach all the riches of fullness, full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Messiah, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He doesn't even for a moment imply to this mostly significantly Gentile audience that this only cuts it if you're Jewish. This is this is a this is a big deal. He's making it clear. This mystery of Messiah that God has prepared before the foundation of the world is available to all men. It doesn't matter what your lineage is. Step to the plate. Drink. From the fountain of eternal life. Because he's provided it for all of us. It doesn't matter where you come from. That's, Mm -hmm. I think, an important point. And if we were to overlook that, I think there'd be a problem there. Okay. So the uh, the human precepts and teachings down in uh, verse twenty two. What, uh, what what do you think he's referring to there? Yes, Joshua uh, Josiah. Just on the uh, doesn't matter where you come from. Yeah. Well, just a little comment on that. We all come from God. Amen. If we were to remember when we're out rubbing elbows with everybody at the mall, 
and seeing the homeless people on the corner, or the people that claim to be homeless on the corner, if we recognize that we're all one big family, that there is one race, and it's called human. It's not defined by color, slant of eyes, pigment. We're human. These guys are monkeys. These guys are elephants. These guys are giraffes. We're human. Bottom line. There it is. If we would recognize that, the world would be a better place. I'm sure we can come up with a song that would encompass that and would probably, <laughs> you know, make the charts there. But uh, absolutely correct. I was uh, watching it. It was Ken Ham this morning. Was, yeah. uh, and he was talking about the whole that we're not all different races. We're all the same race. It's one race. We may be different. And there's no different colors. We're all the same shades of one color. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. All right. So what's what's uh, what what are these human precepts and teachings that he might be referring to? Do you suppose? I mean, we we kind of touched on it before, but in in more specific detail. Regulations of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. I like the. Um, you mentioned Gnosticism. Yeah. And. If you could maybe throw in some detail there for those who are not familiar as much with it, um, they have a whole lot of stuff on denying the body, right? Like there's certain things. And, well, the flesh is bad. In the physical world, yeah. Yeah. And this is when it was starting to flourish. And Gnosticism is a perfect tie-in to this chapter because the whole idea behind Gnosticism, the word Gnosticism, comes from the word to know. Gnosis, well, knowledge. I was say, knowledge. Gnosis, yes. not know, but gnosis. Yeah, knowledge. All right, not know. K N O W. G N. Yes, but R in English. Yeah, that's right. K N O W. And the idea being that um, that it has to do with trying to fe- to to learn secret knowledge, yeah. to learn to attain to um, mystical revelations. And that, I think, is part of really a big thing of what Paul's fighting here, because he's saying, like, you don't need that. You have Messiah. Well, we've, we've even seen that in the church, right? Also I mean, surely, the deity. Surely we've not, uh, uh, we've come across folks in the church. But that, well, I got a, I got a rhema from a ruler. And, uh, and that rhema was, uh, well, it was to me. Well, he goes through that, right? You know, that this is what ends up puffing up, right? Rather than dying to the elemental spirits of the world, right? No values. What were you saying there, um, Mr. Garner? Oh, also uh, Gnosticism... challenges the deity of Messiah um, mm. that he I think it's more of him being an angel rather than God mm. stuff like that and he's addressing his deity the whole fullness of the deity being in him mm. um, whereas they said that the deity wasn't in him also the, there's Times where they say that he was actually a spirit that looked fully physical but was not fully physical. 
while he was on the earth that he was right because Gnosticism yeah. doesn't like the physical they like the spiritual right mm -hmm. so if he's physical well that's a problem yeah. I think though that I mean it's just I think about it, like yeah, yeah in, in, in religion but I, I, I see so much danger really in not so much your mainstream Christianity type thing but you're really getting it like if you I'm seriously you, you you get off of the beaten path and you start thinking okay why do you want to I want to learn what's out there you start reading stuff online all sorts of crazy nonsense oh, yeah. and it's not even just and not even just crazy nonsense from people who are you know genuinely crazy but but people who you know are using the Bible and they're coming up with way way weirdness about who God is or what God does and who Messiah is and what you're supposed to do and why we're all here and and I think again just going back to the beginning the whole point of this chapter is Paul saying all of this is irrelevant you just need to be you need to know Messiah Amen. you need to do what he said Amen. all right so let's uh, close up with uh, a, a deep dive if you will on chapter 2 and verse 6 chapter 2 and verse 6 therefore as you have received Messiah Yeshua the Lord so walk in him. Parapeteo. It's a great word. And it... Peri. Peteo is to walk. So you're walking around. So this is our walk of faith. So he says to... Walk around in him. To walk in Messiah. How can you do that? How can you walk in Messiah? What does that mean? Well, uh, when I looked up the word in on dictionary.com, it gave a bunch of uh, uh, meanings, and what I gathered from that was to walk for him as a, a representation of God and Messiah. I can work with that. How do you do that? To follow him. How do you do that? Obey the Torah. Really? How do you know that? <laughs> what? How do you know that? Because that's what the, uh, the Bible says. And really? That's yeah. what I've been taught. I don't disagree with you. But I'm thinking yeah. about Joe Schmettelhopper who's listening online, and he's like, where did he get that? It doesn't mention anything about the Torah. I think Schmettelhopper sounds like a Jewish name, so they might actually know. But <laughs> so, so what's the deal? How do you walk in him? I know the answer is obvious to you, and you, you know, you're like, it's the Torah. Yeah, right? So, Help, help me to explain that to the person who listens to this podcast five years from now. And you guys are, you know, working on something else. You don't even know they're listening to it. And they're going to write in and go, oh, that changed my life. So, Scott, change somebody's life. Yeah, just, just jump in. Just like that. Just, just like that. Todd, help him if he needs help. Greg. Walking in Messiah means doing the things that he did, approaching 
every element of life in the same manner in which he did. It reminds me of going back to when we first started through this, and the, the, the popular buzz phrase in Christianity at the time was, what would Jesus do? Right. And we, we, we flipped that just a little bit, and just could come at it from the standpoint of not what would Jesus do, but what did, did Jesus do? do? And, and, then, and that's been our study. Right. What did he do? Right. And, and therefore, what he did is how I'm to approach every element, every aspect of my life as I live out. I love it. How, how did Jesus, the Messiah, approach this? He approached everything from a Torah perspective. Even the question of taxes. Absolutely. So, how... How do you prove that? I think we all agree with Scott that Yeshua walked out his life in obedience to God's commands in every way, shape, or form. Prove it. Give me some examples. Todd. Well, from the same stuff we've been reading, if I go just a little bit into the previous chapter. Yeah, backwards is always good. You have to be Joshua if you want to go forward. Uh, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations. So one of the first times he's mentioned the mystery, he's talking about the word of God. Okay. So and there's then, a tie there. I see it. And then down here, the mystery is Messiah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is also pointing to the fact that the Messiah is the word of God. Okay. I so like you that. you could also say that walking in Messiah is... Walking in the Torah. Well, you could say that, but I want you to prove that. But that's good. I like it. It's a good start. We're looking for actions, things, things he did that. I want either actions or descriptions of him that lead me to that. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is that his actions after he healed the lepers. Okay. The first thing he told them to do was to go show themselves to the priests. If Why? That, if that wasn't, because that's what the Torah commanded them exactly. to do when they're cleansed from their leprosy. If that didn't apply anymore, if he was creating a new religion and doing away with all the Torah commandments, why would he tell them to go show themselves to the priest? Right. Why you, didn't he say, go tell everybody what I just did for you exactly. and follow me? You've already been cleansed from leprosy. Head over to the Walmart now because they'll let you in. But he didn't override the Torah, and take the priest's mm -hmm. job, who was to proclaim that the leper was clean. Mm -hmm. He pointed him right back to the priest. Go show yourself, and he'll declare you clean. Right. Nicely done. I like this. Great example. I hear I hear the smacking of lips. You hear that? It's it's a son laws way of saying I'd, I'd like here. enough to... It's, yes, my, it's my verbal raising my hand. I love it, yeah. Um, yeah. It reminds me also that, that you know he would go into the synagogue on Shabbat, okay. as was his custom. Okay, mm. he did it regularly. Also, you well, can, that makes him very pious. I don't know that it makes him righteous. Well, but okay, so uh, if you would love me, you keep my commandments. I like that. Of course, if he had written the Hare Krishna, then but that he, might not have helped. But to that, but to that, or to the point though about you know the most. The, the strongest argument people who try to say that Yeshua was anti-Torah mm -hmm. 
are the time in which he disagreed with the, state, the rulers of his day. Okay. The woman Didn't caught, the the Sabbath, woman, woman caught right. adultery. Yeah, he yeah. heals the guy on the Sabbath. He, he made, gave her an out. But ironically, you know what's Sabbath. really missing in those passages? He never says, guys, this is over. I'm here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead... Torah, come on. Instead, yesterday. he always uses Torah to explain why he was able to do okay. that. Okay, I like that. This is an ethereal. But so you. like it's they say, they say this, like you broke the Sabbath, told the, you healed the guy, told him to take up his mat and walk, and he doesn't respond going, well, it doesn't matter anymore. Instead he goes, circumcision's done the Sabbath. In other words, some things, is it, is it good, is it better to do good on the Sabbath? He, he repeatedly draws to, to in, a, in a rabbinic style argument, yeah, yeah, yeah. to I, say, this is what we do, and yeah, this no, is how you can justify no doing question. this. And you're, and you're arguing now against the rabbinic rulers of the day, which I get. But I don't think from a Gentile perspective it's the best argument. That's a good argument. You got anything? Come on. I just was a little thinking of the, the road come to on. Emmaus. You know, road to Emmaus, that's okay. A, that's a classic. Okay, um, so now we see this Messiah, but that's, is that, he had to suffer and die. That was the focus of that whole argument. Two and a half hours, by the way. What? Was well, explaining about himself. Yes, and specifically from specifically the law and prophets. From the law and prophets, how he, the Messiah, must come suffer, and, suffer and, and die. Know. Okay, how he lived though, a different different issue. It's good though. It's quick. I got it for you guys. Anybody else? No. If you're arguing with someone in the church. What are they hanging their hat on? Thank you. It's it. It's a simile. Is it a simile? It's a metaphor. Thank you. It's a metaphor. I'm hanging my hat on the fact that Jesus was without sin. He who was, who knew no sin, became sin on my behalf. What does it mean? Legally, biblically, to be without sin. You're perfect. I got a better answer. You followed the Torah. You followed the Torah. Ka-ching. They even used that phrase. He kept it, so I don't have to. Right. So if he kept the Torah in its entirety, and therefore was without sin, and now an innocent man has laid down his life for you, that's all well and good. But if he was without sin, then he did not violate the Torah. And if he did not violate the Torah, and we are then that's his walk. He didn't violate the Torah. I shouldn't violate the Torah. It's as simple as that. If he was without sin, then the Torah was his guide. Because the Torah is what determines what is sin and what is not. And if he was without sin, then he kept the Torah. And if he kept the Torah, then as Paul said, follow me as I follow Messiah, is what we should do. Oh, God bless you. Final comments. Yes? Oh, you were waving goodbye. Okay. Anything else? Wow. Brings me to a yeah. question. So here we're saying 
I mean, we see constantly in the Tanakh, your walk <coughs> is walking in Torah. You're, yes. You're walking in Torah. So in the apostolic scriptures, we see walking good deeds, walking good works. Euphemisms for walking in the Torah. Walking Yeshua. These would all be... Euphemisms for the Because same these thing. are Jewish men writing this, they are... That phrase is the same phrase, right? Absolutely. They're, Has yeah. to be. Because there's not a second standard. There's not another list. There's not a... That's the way it was then. This is the way it is now. What changed at the cross? Well, they would use a different phrase if they were saying something different. I, Absolutely. I think they're intentionally drawing you back to that Absolutely. Phrase. And they have to. Yeah. What changed at the cross? Nothing. Well, the thing that had to be accomplished was accomplished at that time. It was but, accomplished, but nothing changed. Right. There, it was what accomplished was, at that time what was, so that it could be used from the beginning of creation all the way through. Because Absolutely. God but nothing not, changed. The walk of man was the same. Before the cross, you believed that God would send his Messiah. After the cross, you believed that God would send his Messiah. We walk in the fullness of his commandments before the cross. We walk in the fullness of his commandments after the cross. And for these things to be a shadow of things to come is not a shadow of things that already happened. That's right. 60 Bef years yeah, ago or that's whatever. That's right. That's right. 50, 60 years ago would be a shadow of things still to come. Still to come. Absolutely. A timeless revelation. A picture. Yes. Still yes, exactly right. Because what is the hope of our salvation but the resurrection from the dead, which has yet to happen? Yes, I got you. Are you going to be doing the... I can't hear your word you're saying. Are you going to be doing the last review question? I don't know if I even know review the question. last review question. I was really well, excited about the review question. previous question. The same verse or some of the faith of teaching, what did he teach? Okay, I'm willing to work with that. In the same verse, that's chapter 2, verse 6, which I was just harping on, Paul says they were established in the faith through teaching what did he teach. Go ahead, Josiah. The good news. That's so the ethereal. The word, that's even worse. Go ahead, come on, you can keep digging, buddy. The gospel. That's good news. So you're back to the first one. Can we do better? Come on. Give it to me, brother. Come on. Scripture. Scripture. Okay, that's that's what it be. Come on. What is the gospel? What is the good news? The coming of Messiah. What is the good news? The coming of Messiah. Come on, you can do better than that. What's the good news? Tell me some good news. The chariot's coming, good news. Chariot's coming, good news. He's coming back. The, uh, That's true, too. But that was not the good news back then. You have a place in the... Oh. How do you have a place in the world to come? If you do, that would be very good news, Josiah. How is that happening? Surely you're not good enough. Surely you're not good enough to have a place in the world to come. Repent. 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 Paint the car. <laughs> Wash the window. Come on. 
How do you have a place in the world to come? If I repent, I'm trusting in my own works. How do you have a place in the world to come? If you follow the Torah, you will not necessarily have a place in the world to come. The Jews believe that keeping the Torah will lead to eternal life. But if they were to read the Torah, they would find that it talks all about my Messiah. How about your Messiah? How do you have a place in the world to come, Josiah? Faith. Faith in window washing, <laughs> painting the fence. In the Messiah. Faith in the Messiah. Can you be more specific? Faith in Yeshua as the Messiah. Faith in Yeshua as the Messiah. I like that. That, my brother, will preach. Because if you have faith that Yeshua is the Messiah, the long-promised Messiah, that he who was without sin took on sin, that you might have a place in the world to come, then you should be saved. You and your household. Feels like a Philippian jailer. Which then leads to the repentance and a change. So that you would live just like him. And walk in newness of life since, well, you're a pagan. Yeah, just like him. Nicely done. Nicely done. It only took a little bit to draw that out of you, but it should be ready on your tongue. Joshua. Okay, so my, uh, I was looking, I was remembering something. Okay. From, and so I was looking for it, and I finally found it for the first question. Okay. Why should we, um, you were asked, yeah, why yeah. should we follow Yeshua? Yeah. Well, because I found that in Hebrews... Which we haven't studied yet, but I'll let you go. Go ahead. Because Joshua. Sure, Joshua. Yeah, you can move forward. That's good. Yeah. Short rope, buddy. Short rope. Go ahead. Okay. What do you got? Um, I found Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brothers, yes. you share in a heavy calling concerning Yeshua, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to those who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Yeshua had counted worthy of more glory than Moshe as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than itself. And that, that is... Somebody say, glory. That's exactly right. And if you need more convincing material, if you go up through it... Uh, You're done with Hebrews, buddy. You're done. You're done with Hebrews. <laughs> well, yeah. I was, I was going to add on to the way that we walk in Messiah. Yeah. I love this quote from John 13.34 where it says as before the high priest uh, sorry 13.35 by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another because it's true that it's not just Torah keeping that would be your gospel walk or the walk that marks you as a disciple of I would argue that, but I'll wait till you're done. Go ahead. What? Yeah, do I'm you, with do you, you think I'm with it would? I'm, I'm sure it would, and I'll because tell you why. You've been to Jerusalem. I tell you, you why. You couldn't pick out of the crowd anyone that was a follower of Messiah Yeshua. Nor could I by their love. Well, I think you could. 
And I would argue that Leviticus 19 and the rest of the Torah teaches me exactly how to explain and exemplify love to my fellow man. I believe that if you love your brother as yourself, you're actually living out the essence of the Torah, which is focused more verbiage-wise, word-wise, on love between you and I than love between you and God. Right. The idea is getting asked the question, why are you helping me? Why are you doing this? What, what, what's up? I'm just doing what my master did. He lived out the Torah. Same deal. That's a good point. Are we good? We're good. I wanted to add the rest of it, but... I know you did, but you got to wait till we get to Hebrews. Hebrews is going to be great. We're going to be like 14, 15 weeks, maybe 20 weeks. Half a year we're going to go through Hebrews. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Uh, but you won't be able to read it in your Bible. Because I'm going to print it out for you. Ooh. So we're going to compare your version with the real Bible. And see how we do there. Yes, Mike. What is Micah. the real Bible? The real Bible would be directly from the original language. So your, your Bible may say is, where the real text says was. I saw that coming. So you get translated literally? Word for word, yeah. Personally. Word for word. On my own. Yeah. So the original Bible was in, in Greek. The Apostolic Scriptures. Apostolic Scriptures, okay. In Greek. And we're going to look at it in Greek. But since you guys don't uh, do Greek um, at Harris Teeter, like I do from time to time, uh, then uh, we're going we're gonna to translate it into English and do the best we can. But we're going to compare it. The whole idea is not to just look at it in the Greek. We're going to compare it to the actual Greek, to your version, my version, and what we're reading. Because we're going to see that no matter how good your version may be, or you think it may be, there may be some problems there. Wow. Somebody should get saved from this thing. I, I don't know. You know. All right. Somebody like to be changed from this one podcast. That's right. And it'll go down in history. And they'll say, you were here. Hey. All right. Wait. I got some uh, comments here from some uh, other men. Oh, here's Greg Upper. Man, look at this. He's been just chattering away and I didn't notice. Yes, he said, 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I imitate Messiah. I think I quoted that one earlier. Ezekiel 4, you will walk in my statutes and my commandments. Walking in the Spirit equals walking in Mashiach. And then he corrects himself and says it's actually Ezekiel 36, which every noob should know. Come on! Besora is the redemption of Israel, the restoration of all things, and Messiah is the agent of redemption. Greg, I miss you, man. I wish you were here. Great stuff. I see Mrs. Martin is listening. Although, making herself appear to be Joshua Martin, I like that. That's good. Yeah, yeah, I know. She, yeah, she gets in as you, right? I get it, I get it. All right. I, uh, I appreciate your study and your comments. And if, uh, man, I tell you what, if, if you don't recognize that Messiah 
and walking in Him, walking in the Torah, is where Paul was coming from in Colossians, in his second chapter, to this group of folks. Then uh, we didn't do our job tonight, but I think uh, I think we did. So I feel I feel pretty good about it. Scott, would you uh, close us, sir? Sure. Will. Thank you so much. We're thankful, Father, for uh, uh, for your word that's been preserved that we get to uh, we get to study mm. and uh, and talk about and, and gain insights from Father. That our hearts will continue to be turned toward you, so that we can emulate our Master day in and day out in all our dealings with our friends, our family, and those who you would bring across our paths. We pray these things in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. 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 Thank you, gents. Yes.